This episode is brought to you by 4hims.com. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. Do not underestimate the power of PlayStation. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush. I am your host for this very special episode of Beyond. Uh, I am joined this week by Lucy O'Brien. Hello. Brian Altano. Hi. And returning guest, Corey Barlog. Hi, Corey. everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's so good to have you here. Thank you. You are very good to be here. You're here, of course, for the fact that uh, we all really want to talk about the anniversary of The Last Jedi. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. we're here to discuss that. Uh, no, you... LJ. Uh, I would you, love to do an entire <laughs> hour on that with you someday. That we'll would get be there. Fun. Yeah, we'll get there one day. Uh, no, we are here to talk about the fact that you have won... IGN's Game of the Year 2018 for God of War. Congratulations to you and the Sony Santa Monica team. Thank you. Very Thank excited. You so much. Thank you. Uh, and not just Game of the Year. I wrote them all down, so I don't want to get it wrong. There were so many yes. that you had to write them down. God of War has also won Best PS4 Game, Best Action Adventure Game, Best Art Direction, and Best Story. So congratulations on all of those. First that is off. amazing. Uh, and also just congratulations on this tremendous game and the year it has had and all of the work that you and your team put into such an amazing product. Uh, I know we all here are huge fans of it. Mm -hmm. And obviously a lot of the IGN staff is as well and audience. So thank you, first of all, for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's amazing. This is, I mean, uh, so much of this thanks goes to the team at Santa Monica. You know, uh, they... Uh, believed at a time when it was easy to not believe, right? Uh, and I think it's it's a, a very challenging thing to try to fundamentally shift something that everybody feels that they know so well. Uh, and, you know, the public is very fickle, right? <laughs> you can screw it up very easily just by uh, small fractions of a percentage of change. So uh, it was... A pretty incredible ride, but to have the support of the people that you work with and also not just the support, but the feeling that they're going to put everything they have into this. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I feel like everybody finished this game with their tanks completely spent, you know, <laughs> that we were all exhausted uh, and, you know, scared at the same time. You know, that, that was definitely an interesting Finish. Do you think you have a reputation? This is something I wanted to ask you. Do you think now people <laughs> oh, have, have a rep oh reputation? I'm liking this. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think people have now have now seen what you can do uh, with a franchise, an established franchise? You've turned it completely around um, and changed it into something new. I mean, the foundations were there, but you it, you reinvented it. Like, are people coming up to you and being like, "Okay, now you need to do the same with Leisure Suit Larry." Right. Like, you've <laughs> got to do the same with. Um, I don't know, cool Medieval. spot. Right. Like, They're like, hey, man, Alf. <laughs> it's time. One word, Alf. It's time. The world is I would, ready. I would kill for that. <laughs> Alf is a father. Mm -hmm. What's it like? Uh, no, like on that note, I am curious of the reception that you got. We did talk a little bit when you're here for the spoiler cast of uh, obviously that video you put up of you reading uh, the reviews for the first oh, time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that specifically in relation to also the fan reception, once the game was actually out there, can you talk a little bit about how that reception was from the start? Yeah. I mean, first, yes, I actually do think a lot. It's mostly on Twitter where people are like, you need to remake this, you need to remake that. And I'm like, that's a lot. Like five years to make one thing is a lot. So, I, Especially if it's ALF. Yeah, <laughs> that's, it's right. Yeah. Like that's going to be I mean, 10 years at least to make that right. <laughs> so I kind of feel like the, it's really hard to even imagine making more than one more game before game development will kill me. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's it is very interesting. Uh, I think what it also does, hopefully, 
to the the general industry is kind of show people that they can really dig in and try something new with a franchise. You don't have to feel like, oh, no, you just got to keep giving people this thing that they, they, they say they want because sometimes we don't know what we want, right? There are so many experiences that I've had where I'm like, oh, I never would have asked for this, right? I always, my, I always use the Glengarry Glen Ross example of if you were to tell me the summary of Glengarry Glen Ross and then say, let's go see this movie, it's about timeshare real estate. I've been like, yeah, cool, see you later, right? <laughs> no interest whatsoever. Uh, like, even the play, like, if, to go see the, the play originally, but the movie to me is this sort of perfect storm of amazing casting, uh, brilliant actors. And after seeing that, I was like, okay, that that's the thing. Like, the, the expectation you have before you go in, this belief that I know exactly what this is going to be and I don't want that. But then you experience it and you go like, wow, I didn't know that I wanted that. And I think that comes from the place inside of all the creators of just sort of believing in that weird voice in, in uh, I'm saying their head, but I'm pointing to their stomach. <laughs> so apparently we have a head both. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it is, it is definitely in, in a sort of a thing. I hope more creators do that. They, they, they take a risk and they get supported by the people who really make the decisions, the people who have the money. Mm -hmm. uh, and and they, they support them and say, you know what, let's try something interesting and different uh, that fundamentally changes the way you experience the game, not necessarily just the way you pay for the game. I That's something know. like I actually hadn't really thought about is that the impact that this game specifically will have on the industry at large. Uh, your game came within a year of stuff like Breath of the Wild and Assassin's Creed uh, Origins, where they effectively said, hey, we're going to kind of hard stop this factory that's been going for a long time and reevaluate things and look at them. So I really do hope that that does send that message to the sort of, I guess, the money people at the top of the industry to go like, hey, like, let's, you know, this is working and it's it's selling well, but what if we pump the brakes on this and come back to it with like a sort of more strategic angle that's it's maybe a little hardier? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's risk taking is what yeah. it is. It's, yeah. it's like, it was so brave. I remember being in E3, um, and a God of War was shown, and I forget which one it was, I apologize, but uh, you know, it was a really bloody trailer and everyone in the room erupted with cheers. And I was like, oh yeah, that's God of War, mm -hmm. right? right? That was yeah. God of War to me in a nutshell. Yeah. So again, it's just like enormous risk taking to just go, okay, we're gonna pull back on this and do something different. Yeah. And it, it it is definitely one of those things and it sounds sort of egotistical to say, but it does sort of begin with, I think that one person saying, mm -hmm. all right, we're gonna try this. And then it's just a constant convincing and that you're just meeting with people and then listening to their feedback and saying, like, I know it seems weird to do this, right? Like, throughout the whole process, people kept saying, you're going to ruin this. It's not, you know, like you were saying, where's the blood and the gore? And it's like, but again, that isn't not present. We're just not going to lead with that. We're mm. going to attempt to look at something else to give more emotional weight to all of that violence, right? The violence initially was kind of a big factor in it because it was a violent period of time yeah yeah sort of, of course. The, the time of the the, the spartans right uh the most sort of fearsome fighting force in the history of mankind like that was a very like unforgiving and bloody time right but now it isn't that it is any less violent it's simply just like oh wouldn't it be interesting if when you play you feel the impact of that a lot more and how does that happen Right? How does that happen? It happens when you don't just lead with that. You don't just put that right out front and say, we're selling you this, uh, right? It's that thing that you kind of, the, the blades, right? Mm -hmm. the, the blades had more impact because for the most part, I was able to keep it hidden from everybody and not even know that we were going to actually reveal those things. And I think that is the things that 
at least for me as a creator, I was sort of waking up to, and I think probably a bunch of other creators were like, of course, that's exactly how you do it. But it's maybe more people will wake up to that and actually start to take those kinds of risks, present something that is different, uh, but from a point of passion, right? I think that's the most important one is, that, oh, not just changing the change. Because sometimes when you just change stuff, it doesn't really necessarily make it better. It's not change for the sake of change. It's much more of like, I have a point of view. I have an idea. And this would be really interesting. You know, I, I, I some of my favorite games seem to have come from that singular point of view and then are enriched by the fact that you have so many people on a team that just add to that in such a positive way. Or subtract. I mean, subtraction is a huge part of the creative process. It's, you know, the... I don't even know who this quote is from, but you know, you know, it's done when it's not that there's nothing left to add, mm-hmm. is that there's nothing left to take away, yeah. right? And I often try to just lean on the latter part of that and just say, I know there's nothing else to take away. <laughs> don't touch anything. Uh, but you know, that's usually not true. We usually have a lot more than we need. When you were talking a little bit about uh, sort of the risk taking nature of it, and not wanting to change it just to change it. And especially the, I think the most interesting thing is leading with the new aspects of it. And yes, that violence that is sort of core to what a lot of people think of as God of War is in the game. It is not a friendly, happy-go-lucky game. But you purposefully in the trailers and the previews and all of that stuff led with this very clear focus and the intent, which seems like the original spark. Was there ever any pushback on that sort of stuff? Did you have to deal with people being like, but what if we maybe showed also all these crazy cool deaths in there? Yeah. Or is it was there sort of this clear, like, we believe in this vision, we're pushing it forward? Uh, not to undermine anybody at Sony, because I think <laughs> they all did believe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I myself even suffer from this, and that there is moments of doubt, right, throughout. And, you know, our first trailer, the, the playable trailer, we added a huge amount of pressure that it was going to be a nine-and-a-half-minute live playable demo mm-hmm. to an orchestra, uh, because, you know, make it hard, right? Exactly. That's, how we, that's how we roll. And, uh, you know, that one... That went through a lot of debate and a lot of argument and a lot of doubt from people to say, oh, it's not, you know, there's not a big boss at the end, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, it needs to end with uh, the dragon swooping in over there was kind of a, wasn't really intended. It was meant to be uh, stuff off in there and you're just, it was about saying that there's a whole world, uh, a new world that we're going to explore. That was sort of the message at the end, but... You know, people can say, oh, we need to have him fight a big boss at the end. We need to, we need something big. And uh, I was like, all right, well, maybe we can bring the dragon in. But he's like, no, no, no. You know, spoilers. But you need to have, like, <laughs> like uh, Balder pop up on the dragon and say, I've been looking for you. And I was like, no, no. It's not a Renzo Lamas movie or something like that. We don't, need to, we don't need to throw it in their face. Like, there's a bit of subtlety that we can mm-hmm. use. Uh, and I think it was that moment when we had released that the people started to realize like oh okay I, I think I see where we're going with this uh, and that people are responding positively to it prior to that point we hadn't shown anybody or told anybody so it's it's very easy to, to feel like okay we haven't shown this and this is the first time we're going to go out I don't want to embarrass uh, myself or they don't want to embarrass themselves or be embarrassed and since I was sort of the one playing mm-hmm. right there was a lot of pressure on me of people coming up and watching me do my, my rehearsal playthroughs and then mm-hmm. giving me feedback that was wild, like, yeah. right? Like to to play. A, I was basically playing a game for people, and then I was like listening to a room of people critique me on my playing uh, and how I did <laughs> that wrong. Like my worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy, yeah, uh, but I guess it's like streaming, right? You're streaming. Yeah, well, yeah. So that's like the true. chat is filled with "you suck, get good." Mm-hmm, <laughs> you were just right? a very private streamer, right? Right, and it was just live. It was everybody's. <laughs> you suck, get good. Are right? you? Are you like? 
Do you feel like you're in the, the sigh of relief part? Did that come when the game launched and the reviews came? Because we're in review season now, so it's sort of the the accolades are rolling back in. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that sort of hum of positivity has uh, sustained throughout the year. But do you do you finally feel like we did it? <laughs> like, I know there's <laughs> that, like, with creators, there's imposter syndrome, and there's, like, I don't know. And, I, I like, the second you finish something, people are like, where's the next thing? You right. know, we're an insatiable bunch as gamers, and, you know. We can't blame us. It is true, man. You get like five minutes, and then people are like, "Where's the next one?" Well, now. I was, I was, now. I was explaining it to people as this sort of like, I like on my wedding day, people were like, "Where's the kid?" We're like, <laughs> "Not now." Oh, like, I thought you were gonna go different there. Where's oh, the next one? <laughs> 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 we're gonna get divorced and remarried right, right. in presents. It's yeah. a good, it's a good, yeah. it's a good racket. So so smart money making. Do you feel like? Are you like we're we're good now? We're done. I can sort uh, of like reflect on this or. Half and half. I don't know. I think I, I think I go up and down about it. You know, like uh, uh, the the game awards. I was super stressed out that whole day, uh, just because, you know, it was more important that the the team was there, and I really wanted them to be recognized in that. You know, it's like a, it's a, sort of an official night of awards and stuff. I thought, oh, that's a really cool thing. I really hope that that can happen. But I was also, you know, the the pessimistic negativity side was just like, come on now. This is mm-hmm. not going to happen, so just in, enjoy it. So that was definitely a back-and-forth stress. But now there's a bit of a sigh, but, you know, the pressure. I, I, I would not uh, say that I'm comparing myself to Chappelle, but I, Chappelle, after he did Chappelle show season two, right, where it was like the biggest thing in the world, and I think there was that huge pressure of like, what do I do now? And he mm-hmm. just went and played World of Warcraft for like a year. Uh, <laughs> I kind of want to go play World of Warcraft for a year. You should. Yeah, <laughs> I think but you that. should. You deserve that. I mean, like, I was just thinking, uh, not that I've ever really experienced this in my life, because I'm just you know a, a co-host on this show, <laughs> um, as opposed to Corey, but. Is there a point where you just get with the accolades and you're just like, thanks, yeah, thanks. Like it just, there's so much sort of like you're lifted so much and everyone is celebrating you and it's just like constantly people singing happy birthday to you and you're just like, I just want to go, like go into a cabin in the woods for a bit and just chill. (laughs) Is that what it's like for you right now? Uh, let me tackle the latter part first because I think going into a cabin in the woods is a recipe for a horror movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that if I wanted to relax, I would not do that. Uh, they're in there singing the birthday song. Right. That's that's, a that's the horror movie. Yep. Like you go to the cabin in the woods and all of a sudden it's like TGI Fridays, like birthday <laughs> song over and over and over again. You're like, no, I'll take the accolades. We're cool. We're cool. I'll go back now. Uh, I think for me, it actually feels like uh, it's hard to focus on it. I'm terrible mm. at taking compliments. I am the worst. It makes me uncomfortable. I think you're great at it. Uh, I have oh. had to force myself to <laughs> to be okay with it because it was definitely something that I just I don't know what to to say. Right? Yeah. I always have that weird uncomfortable. Like, do you want to compliment the other person? And you, I, I deflect like crazy in that respect, where I'm just like trying to deflect it off because it's hard to feel like you did you completed it like you did it right right like i think that's the from a creative standpoint this is the game uh, or the anything i've created over the years this is the most complete i've felt about it mm-hmm. but i still feel like it's a huge percentage where i'm like oh man i wish i would have done this i wish i would have fought harder for this i wish i could have figured that out or i wish i didn't have to cut that you know the the whole the sun 
uh, jerk sequence, right? There's that whole sequence where he gets upset. We had to cut a huge chunk of gameplay out of there, and it still haunts me. Uh, but again, this is another great example of uh, having a great team, mm-hmm. right? Because they all got together, and even though they were super angry at me, because most of the people in the room that were figuring out the solution would have to do the work. Mm. So while we were cutting stuff to save one group, we were adding work onto another group, and that group had to figure out how to fix it. And not only did they they, they figure out how to fix it, they added more because it would make it better. So that, to me, was, I think, it was a tough moment, but it was one of my most proud moments, I think, working with that team, was to see people who knew they were taking on extra work. And instead of just trying to say, you know what, this is the bare minimum that we'll do, they went, this idea is so much better. This is going to make it better, right? The It was the the Modi returns in uh, Tears Temple, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, you know, I think I broke him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I had talked a, a while ago of like, oh, it'd be really neat if we could figure out how to do a rage moment for the kid, but it just has to feel right. And, you know, then forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And they had kind of come up with this and this whole scene uh, that would incorporate that idea into it. And the scene was brilliant, so good. And it was way more work than they thought they were going to. They could have gotten away with a couple of lines, uh, but they added even more. So that to that, me, see how I did that? I just deflected. Yeah. You no, really you're really did. good. You that did. section, um, that section, really got to run way. for office. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I know, like you had a, it was pencils down for you on that. And you, there's probably parts of it that haunt you as a creator going, like, oh, I could have mm. done more. But um, as, as a consumer, as, you know, somebody that enjoyed the play that game, um, that part, gives me chills it stuck with me almost more than anything else in the entire game and you know I've, I've talked to you about like uh, the sort of personal uh tentpole things that happened in my life with that where god of war sat right between them but i became a father a few months after i finished that game and i have been incredibly mindful of who i am in front of my kid because i wow. don't know how much <laughs> of that will reflect and that seems specifically of seeing kratos is sort of most you know, not necessarily strong, but just angry and and vicious uh, parts of his personality being translated to his son, yeah. and him being like this. You know, this 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 is a mirror reflection of my worst of my worst parts. Haunted me, yeah. and it really really stuck with heartbreaking. me. Heartbreaking. Yeah, I guess to me, the the realization of that scene after it kind of had uh, had gotten finished, and we were looking at the previous, it was just like oh. That brought up a lot of stuff for me of realizing, man, these are the things I pass on to my kid. Mm-hmm. When I see that stuff come back uh, to haunt me, right, to, to to see that kind of weird OCD behavior and that inability to sort of let something go, which later in life I've turned that a little bit to a strength. But, man, it's it sucks growing up in that respect. So it's it's interesting. Like it's it's so much of this game is these personal mirrors to us as the development team, but it's universal, right? Like what you're what you're talking about it was one of the early things uh, that I was telling Sony executives. I was like, you know, how much of ourselves do we really show our children, mm-hmm. right? And then how much of ourselves should we really show our children? Should we be our sort of true selves? Uh, because we all have skeletons in our closet, you know, maybe not as, you know, numerous as, as Kratos, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, we all have that same sense of, like, we want to be our best selves to model that behavior. We never are. Right. Yeah. Like after six years, you know, we said, "Oh, we're not going to fight in front of him," and we fight in front of him. You know, and 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 we uh, we are idiots sometimes, and and that's fine because we're human beings, right? We're going to mm-hmm. make mistakes. Uh, even demigods make mistakes. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, there's that there's that notion of like, do you 
do you pass, do, do you force your, you know, what you perceive to be your best traits onto your kid mm. or do you amplify their, their best, their best traits? And I think that oh, that push so and hard. that push and pull between those two, the two core characters in this game, I like the, when they reach that, there's this like, and it's a lot of it's very subtle and unspoken and mm. they reach this sort of medium of this understanding and it's, it's just chilling the way yeah. that comes together. Um, we interrupt this program to bring you a brief message from Hims, a new wellness brand for men. Here's a not so fun fact. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And by the time you start to notice hair loss, it's usually too late. It's generally easier to keep the hair that you have than to replace the hair that you've lost. So why not do something about it? Forhims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness, and other stuff like that that might be embarrassing to deal with in person. Luckily, with Hims, there's no waiting rooms, no awkward in-person doctor's visits, and you can save plenty of time by just going to a website. Hims connects you with real doctors and gives you medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss and other possibly embarrassing problems. And this isn't snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements either. These are well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. If this sounds like it would help you out, order now. Our listeners get a trial month of Hims for just five bucks today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details, but this would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or to a pharmacy. So just go to forhims.com slash beyond. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash beyond. Once again, that's forhims.com slash beyond. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. Did Was it weird to like work late and tell your own son, like, Aussie in the morning? <laughs> While you're working on the relationship yeah. between these two people, yeah, I mean, my I know wife, that's personal. My wife never lets me forget about <laughs> the non-presence uh, uh, during this process. You know, super supportive, but at the same time, uh, my son was born um, when we were living here, and I was working on uh, the first Tomb Raider reboot, and that was hard to the core, man. Like I was. We were living in Selma, and it was out in Redwood City, so I was getting home at 2 in the morning uh, in his first year, uh, and she was super displeased about that. Uh, rightfully so. That was that was nuts. Uh, and uh, when we started The New God of War, I, I was able to be there a little bit more. But, you know, as you progress, things go up and down throughout the process. And, yeah, my son really couldn't understand it, so my wife was there to understand it for him, and punch me in the face uh, <laughs> as much as she could. Um, but, you know, uh, she's right. You know, that's, that's, that's the difficult thing about following that sort of creative path, I think, is that sometimes it takes you over and you have to have somebody to tell you, get a little balance, right? Like, stop. But it's very, uh, to me, I find that the most difficult because it's like you don't, you don't shut it off when you go home, right? Mm. You're just sitting there thinking about a thousand mm-hmm. different things, especially if the next day you're going in and you have to work with uh, a bunch of people on something and you have to have an answer. I think to me that's the hardest <laughs> part of the job is that you don't always have to have the answer, but you have to have an answer. Mm-hmm. Whether that answer is like, I don't know, let's let's figure this out. Here's the goal. Let's go towards this. Let's figure it out together. Or, nope, we're not doing that. We're doing this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and a lot of times you just have to, in the moment, Make the decision and then regret it. <laughs> like, how do I backtrack that? Regret it as you're playing through the game again and saying, oh, that section mm-hmm. could have been like that. Yeah, what did I do here? <laughs> I am curious, though, throughout uh, the process, obviously, you were speaking to that specific scene, but in terms of con- the nature of constraints on a creative project where there is that balance of 
you wanting it to fulfill the creative vision that you and the team have, but also having to deal with the business and the practical sense of hitting certain milestones and getting yeah. to a release date and everything. What, did that happen? Did things in the game pop up because of those constraints pretty frequently, or is that sort of the example you gave before, kind of like the main one that you remember I mean, the, from the process? It's interesting, the business constraints were not really always that present. Really? I think that's the cool thing about being uh, first party with mm -hmm. Sony, mm -hmm. is one, I worked with a lot of studios. Sony has always been this studio that I continue to sort of go back to because they really support not only the creative process, but the creative people, right? The the developers, the, 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 the sort of strangeness that it is to develop games because nothing is linear about developing a game. Nothing is logical about developing a game. It is messy and circuitous and... Uh, 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 no small amount of insane, right? Mm. And I think the patience it takes to be uh, sort of a supporter of that is incredible. And I'm ever thankful for Sony for being that kind of supportive because they've never put us in a position where it says, you have to do this, you have to do that. Uh, you know, hey, you have to release 10,000 DLC or something like that, or you have to release on this date. We did have a release date uh, in fall of 2017 initially. Like we were, that was like a, nobody really agreed on it. I think somebody just put it in the calendar in a meeting at one point, And then all of a sudden it just started circulating around and we were just like, oh, so I guess that's when we're releasing. <laughs> and, you know, they were starting to sell me on it a little bit. Like, this is going to be great. We could totally do this. And I was like, oh man, like one, I think, isn't that when Red Dead comes out? Like, I don't want to come out around them. They're, <laughs> they're really big, right? So I was like, we should get away from that. But even more so, I just don't know if we're going to be ready then. Like, mm. this is like a year and a half out from that date. Uh, so it was a slow process of having the conversations to figure out like, okay, let's just find the right date. And, you know, to their credit, very quickly, they were like, all right, whatever you want, you know, let's, let's find one. And we waited really late. I think it was like, you know, middle of January uh, in 2018 when we actually said this is the release date. Mm -hmm. We agreed on it uh, because we got the builds after Christmas. We evaluated all the, the bugs and everything and said like, all right, I think if we really push, we can make, you know, 420. Uh, and I was like, that's great. I love that date. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, uh, it was, I think, an interesting thing because when you're working with third party, mm -hmm. right, uh, I, I worked at a development studio called Paradox Development where we made uh, X-Men fighting games, X-Men uh, Next Dimension mm -hmm. and uh, Backyard Wrestling. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was wild. But those games we're all about keeping the doors open, right? Mm -hmm. There's yeah. a lot of talented developers there and, and a, a woman who ran that studio that meant so well, but it all comes down to the publisher exerting the control to say, we're paying you this month and you have to deliver this, right? Mm -hmm. So you end up just releasing a game to release to keep the doors open to get the paychecks in, right? Whereas it's just a different story in first party. It's like, look, we want this to be great. You want it to be great. And they have the presence of mind to know that their evaluation of great doesn't need to be the marker to say it's done, right? They'll give their feedback, but they're not the ones going, it's great now, let it go, right? Mm -hmm. No, they're going, when do you feel good about it, right? And we have to justify it. It's not just free reign, but, you know, it is definitely, I don't know, like for me, I I don't know if I would want to work anywhere else simply because of <laughs> such a great experience, right? Because we've I've never had that sense of, it's not a blank check, but man, it's pretty darn close. Mm -hmm. uh, they, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say in terms of constraints as well, like uh, you mentioned before, 
taking away things. And I think one of the most amazing things about God of War coming out this year is it, it came out in a year where there were a handful of extremely good open world games, right? Like extremely strongly delivered. This is kind of the pinnacle of open world games. We reached it as high as we can go, at least this generation. Mm-hmm. Um, God of War was not open world. Yeah. It, it, it was sort of quasi open world, um, but it was in my mind so much stronger because of that, um, because you guys didn't decide to try and do absolutely everything. You decided to do some things very well. Yeah. And so were there sort of moments where, you, where you, there, there was pressure perhaps or at least internal discussions to make it bigger, to add more, to make it into this big, you know, Red Dead 2 rival? Right. Uh, wow. It's interesting because it was actually the opposite. Uh, a lot of people saying it's too big, it's too big. You know, I gave a pitch to the the team multiple times throughout, and you know, several people had come up and said, like, you know, us and what other studios are going to finish this game? It's just too big, right? Um, but to get to the level down below where it's like the size that we have and the density of encounters, because what you're talking about too is that sense of when you do an open world game, there's kind of a cost of entry. And that cost of entry is these systems of like real estate purchasing and gambling and car stealing and gang rivalries and all this sort of territory control. And that's amazing stuff that makes these games kind of engaging and and really adds the, the, the sort of hours to your play experience. But from the beginning, I kind of was telling people, I know it's going to feel like we're making an open world game, but I want you to think of this like the big sort of hub-based gameplay of the classics. But the world itself, as lame as it is that everybody says, the world itself is a character, and that character is very gigantic, and it's adding to the sense of isolation, Mm. right? And that we don't want anybody to feel like when they get in the game that they have a responsibility to go check all the boxes, right? And it's not to denigrate any open world games at all, uh, but to me, it is a huge, overwhelming sort of responsibility when I start an open world game, when I start seeing all this stuff to do on the map, and I'm like, oh man, I just get paralysis of choice, right? I actually get sad from it nowadays. Like, I'm just like, I'll never get that. Yeah, I'll never see it all. Right, it just sort of reminds me of my inadequacy uh, uh, (laughs) gameplay time, right? Yeah. Like, all these people are like, 100% of this game, and I'm like, oh my god, I've 7%ed many games. Yeah. Yeah. It it feels like being on vacation in a really cool city for like two and a half days. And you're like, there's so much here, and I only have seven meals or whatever it is, and then... Oh my god, that's totally true. Yeah. I just went to Tokyo, and it was like for like two or three days. Mm -hmm. I literally could do like one building. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, man, Tokyo was awesome. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, that's and and I think throughout we were doing a bit of a push and pull uh, where people were like oh I think we should just go full open world we should add some more stuff but I think they were also realizing even when they said that oh I'd have to do no never mind like that's a lot of work and as we got through the development people started to realize that oh we don't want to compete with that mm. I think it's good that we can separate from that because it is the cost of entry at this point you know in a in a post Red Dead Two world is massive. Oh yeah. Right? It is absolutely like if you want to compete in the open world space, it is just a ridiculous sort of like beginning bar. Yeah, mm-hmm. the conversation has changed now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's to me I I don't I don't want to get into that race uh, <laughs> because I I think it would literally like if you remember that that point when Kojima was working on Metal Gear 5 and I think he saw some video of GTA 
uh, and he got depressed, right? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is that I is how I that. feel. That is how I feel every time I see all these newer games come out. I'm just like, oh my gosh, look how amazing that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and that was literally the last year as we're nearing completion. I'm just seeing all these videos uh, and then seeing the games as they come out and going like, oh man, look at what they're doing. Uh, it is a good depressed, right? As a as a creative, I think that's a great depressed to say like, wow, everybody is pushing the envelope further and further and further, right? Mm-hmm. And even though out there, many people will say, oh, well, yes, no one's being that creative and no one's doing anything. The game industry is stagnating. It's like I I don't I, I don't see that at all. Mm-hmm. Right? No. Like that while we may be uh, endeavoring to sort of take old things and make them new. There are so many amazing concepts out there, so many amazing executions uh, that sort of challenge you as a player and, and invite you into a new experience, even if it is same ingredients mixed in a different way, right? There's thousands of recipes that use very similar ingredients, but they taste different because of the ratios, right? And I think it's a similar thing with mechanics. It's not that you have to invent a new mechanic. It's that you have to have your take on it, right? Your spin that makes it feel like, ooh, this is this is a unique way to play. Mm-hmm. Right before... Uh we were we, earlier. We were talking about sort of like you know shipping 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 something and and finishing it and putting it out there. Um, art's weird in that way because I, I think historically albums were were done when they when, when they were done and they're out there and movies are finished forever and you know maybe there's deleted scenes and stuff like that. Games are a bizarre medium now because yeah. they there's it there is that pencils down aspect there is that like you know devs tweeting out their their retail discs being like we did it right. but you guys went in and added new game plus yeah. and was was there is there an urge to like keep going back and adding more paint to the canvas or do you do you have, do people have to hold you back from that are you like hey you know what if we what if we put this like extra little prologue or this thing or this thing or do you feel like i'm done i can walk away yeah it's a weird push and pull on that one because there's the I'm exhausted, so I'm sort of done. Uh, but with the New Game Plus and with Photo Mode, those were two late game cuts that just hurt, right? That was like, all right, we're in January. We decided on our date. There's no way we're making that date, right? Unless we don't do those two things until we're done, right? So we do those in like March, mm-hmm. uh, which is already after the Gold Master would have gone out, and then they could sort of stagger to come out. And for me, uh, Fimmel Winter was an important thing. I wanted to be able to get to the end of the game, all the events of the game, spoilers, uh, <laughs> uh, all the events of the game cause the beginning of the three-year winter, the three-year winter that precedes the Twilight of the Gods, right? The the Ragnarok and all of the end. And I kind of wanted that feeling of when you go and do New Game Plus, when you go and actually just keep playing in the world and complete some of the exploration stuff, you're doing it in Fimmel Winter. You're sort of experiencing that beginning portion of it. Um, so it was important for me to get that, but it was also, I think, important for the team because they were kind of bummed that from a time perspective, we just couldn't finish that stuff. Like, to get the game stable or to put New Game Plus in. And I was like, well, I agree, 100% stable. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Focus on the bugs, make sure that it's, like, fun to play, uh, and then we can, you know, sort of negotiate what we can put out afterwards. Because there was a time when I wrote a couple of DLCs uh, that we were talking about, okay, what if we did release some other stuff after? Uh, and, you know, they're interesting ideas, but I think the amount of time we'd have to put into it, it would start to end up be kind of like a, a left behind or a first light kind of thing where it's mm-hmm. just so big. Like almost it, like a new game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like like Lost Legacy or something like that yeah. where it's right. just like, I think the um, I have a difficulty with the lower ambition portion <laughs> and that I end up, maybe it's a little too big. Uh, but 
this it's another interesting thing of you know we are able to to fiddle around with it even after it's out right whereas uh, like ps1 right and ps2 network connectivity wasn't really there much so you released the game and that was it right you mm-hmm. had to be okay with everything that you released there like a game breaking bug would live forever you know right stuff like that and it's like now you can go back in and 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 it does tempt you as a creator to potentially put flashlights in the hands of the soldiers kind of thing, right? Like, you, like you want to go back, and you're like, my values have changed, and I want to go change this, right? And I think, for me, that's a delicate place, right? Because I think I would want to make something new that reflects that versus going in and changing any of that. But now the accessibility of that makes the temptation that much greater. It's an interesting point, though. Like, there are very few games that have kind of retconned themselves in that way. Like there are no sort of Winchester mystery house games where people just keep (laughs) building and building and building and changing and changing. I think most people have the good sense to know when to stop, Mm -hmm. even when the temptation is there. I think the Star Wars special editions really taught people a lot about <laughs> Show to maybe you don't need more do-backs, you know? <laughs> we don't need to switch the, the right. song. I mean, for me, I love the the restraint of that because it does keep the experience of the story whole as it was yeah. when we all first experienced it. But I did love that the game had this life afterward, not just with New Game Plus and everything, but also with, uh, it was one of like the biggest things uh, during the summertime, but the uh, Easter egg hunt for that final Easter oh, egg yeah. uh, that you had talked a little bit here. on. The I was so sad that that ended up being the last Easter egg. Yeah. Right? Because that wasn't intended. I mean, the last Easter egg, the, the Easter egg I really thought I was so clever on <laughs> was hiding... The, the the sort of location of a secret item in the physical map of the collector's edition with two different made-up languages. <laughs> I mean, it was super complicated, and I was so proud of myself. And I had worked with a very small group of people on the team. We kept it secret, yeah. right? And nobody was aware of it. And people <laughs> found it in like three days. <laughs> I was like, dude, you're going towards the dessert, right? So then uh, you end up giving, you know, the... The mashed potatoes is the final secret, <laughs> right? And everyone's like, that's lame. And I'm like, I know. But the meaning behind it was really cool. I yes. think that, to me, that secret, while it wasn't a huge ah, revelation, it was an interesting revelation to show that Faye, Faye always wanted him to understand who he was, mm-hmm. right? She always wanted Atreus to understand that he was both Loki and Atreus, even when he didn't know it, that he was surrounded literally by half of who he is growing up and and that it was something that subconsciously that he would absorb and that that choice of who will you be right is ever present even when you're not aware of it we are always figuring out you know who our best self is right so i'm curious uh with something like that and I think one of my favorite aspects of the game is the layered intention behind everything where like every character that's in there, every piece of extra things you can find in the world or every location, all of it has more than just the meaning that you go there and complete the objective to keep moving on. Like it all matters to the entire story and all feels like this complete whole where there issues with maintaining that cohesiveness when you had to cut things and when you had to add things like were those restraints yeah uh, it drove the writers crazy <laughs> uh it was interesting because uh, in the beginning i wanted everything to connect and mean something and then as we got into this sort of middle point of production there was this sense that oh gosh there's just too much right when we started to realize uh oh this must take to do one side sort of event and that's a lot. All right. So maybe we'll, okay, 
maybe we don't have to have as much story in it. I guess we can cut it down. It sucks, but, you know, let's do it. Uh, and we did a first pass on that and play tested it and we're, you know, called out immediately by the player and saying, <laughs> like, this is stupid. None of this means anything. <laughs> and we were like, all right, well, we got to do it, right? So I had a heart-to-heart with the, the writers and the, the the people in charge of sort of the exploration group and kind of said, like, we really got to – we have to connect all this stuff. We have to stretch ourselves a little bit further so that as you're going off and exploring, you're getting rewarded not only from world building, but it connects back. It makes sense, and you're hearing all of this stuff. And they were, like, 100% super behind it, and we started – sort of pitching different stories and adding different stuff. And it just, it sort of started glowing in my mind from there where I realized like, oh, this is, this is how it has to be. It's tough. It's, it's a little bit more work, but it means something, right? Mm-hmm. It is, it is definitely connected to the rest of the world. And once everybody else is on board, once everybody sees the direction they have to go in, they can really start creating on their own and say, I'm going to add to this. I'm going to add to that and then really build it up. Uh, but yeah, when we would cut things, uh, especially when you cut geometry, right? I think yeah. the hardest part in any game is what people don't realize is you have a certain physical space and then uh, a certain speed at which the player is able to move at a, a maximum speed. So then the writers will write to that, right? Hey, I've got 18 seconds. I'm going to write 18 seconds to dialogue. That's awesome. They write it, record it, put it in, and then they cut out something. Or even more maddeningly <laughs> later, we're like, oh, the climbing's too slow. Let's speed it up a little bit. All the dialogue throughout the entire game is screwed up because they get through all the climbing sections and the dialogue doesn't end. So yeah, that's that makes the writers crazy. That that would be the one that they pull me into their office to be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> uh, but yeah, that I think anytime you have to get rid of anything, it it costs somebody else something. Was I mean one of the, one of the most amazing things about game development is that writers often write to gameplay. It's not the other way around. You know, sometimes you're just presented, you're like, this would be cool if we do this, or we have to change a piece of geometry so this now looks like this, or like, I'd like a side quest that involves this like kind of type of gameplay, right? Yeah. Um, and often that's incredibly challenging for a writer because you've got to come up with ideas of what that could be, and that's why you end up with, especially like RPGs that just often make very little sense when it comes right. to things like side quests and stuff like that. Were there Magical any- loaf of bread. Yeah, 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 <laughs> just absolute nonsense. <laughs> Were there sort of any moments uh, during the development of God of War where you were presented with what you perceived to be a gameplay like problem in, in terms of how you fit it into a narrative that the writers came in and said, okay, we'll do this, and you were just blown away by by their idea? Ooh. Well, we have a half and half, I think, uh, at the studio, whereas the writers, uh, we work out an outline in advance, and I kind of like to sort of thread a little bit of gameplay goals inside of that and then they're kind of writing before the gameplay even starts mm. a lot of the times that's the because we were essentially doing everything at once the ideal situation is what you're talking about is we've worked out a fun space and then we figure out from a, a narrative perspective what is the dialogue we write in there and occasionally that does happen but a lot of the times we're literally in the stage recording the the, the cinematics, not knowing what the level is even going to look like, right? We're like, I, we know a cup will be at like a, a meter, and that's about it, right? The rest of them, I don't know what you're looking at. I think it's a sky over here, right? Uh, because we were doing things so early. Um, but then as we got further into production, we started to have these situations where, oh, that gameplay is amazing, right? Uh, and how are we going to make that fuse or, mm. or work within the game? Um you know, the, a lot of these uh, sort of things that we were doing out in the world, um, the, the, the quest with um, uh, Gulveg, right? 
that was sort of the the life lesson to mm. to to be careful what you wish for and and the things we think we want don't necessarily turn out the way right and i think there's that, that little bit of the innocence in the uh, of allowing his his son to have to go through that like kratos knows it's probably not going to turn out good mm-hmm. but letting his son go through that to experience it not to be a dick or anything but to actually <laughs> To imprint that on him, to help him understand that things don't always turn out. I think I that love that side quest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think all of them kind of began like when we started talking about these. There was the initial write-ups that were just maybe too steeped in lore and the edits. And I was like, let's come back and let's just start looking at these. Is what is the lesson that Kratos is learning? What is the lesson that that uh, Atreus is learning? Like that is what we should come at. What is the sort of uh, life milestone that happens within this one is this one about, you know, uh, the betrayal between uh, fathers and sons, right? What is what what are we learning from each of these? And I think those foundational points really make them resonate a lot more than just I have these chickens <laughs> and I need you to deliver these chickens, right? <laughs> Five of them, but I can't catch any of them, <laughs> so you have to catch them all and then deliver them, right? And I think that is where. You end up beginning with gameplay and then saying, all right, well, let's just end it there, right? Let's, the gameplay is catching chickens. We have chicken-catching gameplay tech. Uh, <laughs> Corey, they're, they're called cuckoos. Right, cuckoos. <laughs> I, I just so think one of the smartest <laughs> things that, y- that you guys did, just as an aside, was having those stories when you're traversing. Like, just when you're on the boat and the is oh, yeah. talking, and it's like, that could have been kind of a slog. But yeah. it wasn't because you had that dialogue and that dialogue was so sharp and I just yeah I thought that was an incredible sort of use of of character in a moment that could be otherwise yeah. quite like it's, it's sort of like in lieu of having like an in-game radio you have this decapitated <laughs> right? yeah <laughs> stories but see that's a really good observation because like one Matt Sovos, Rich Gobert, Orion Walker uh and uh Adam Dolan were the incredible writers that we worked with on this one and it is truly their work that made that work because honestly people hated the boat in the studio (laughs) the boat was the butt of every joke the boat was like if anything was behind schedule or we were over anything it was always you can always cut the boat (laughs) get rid of the boat And they're like, I'm serious, man. The boat's stupid. It sucks. I hate the boat. Right. And, and the boat was a compromise I made really early on when the, the, the technical director basically told me we cannot do 3d, uh, you know, AI navigation, right? Uh, we're going to have difficulty doing the 2D when they're walking, right? That's going to be the challenge, and we should take on that challenge. But to then go swimming, where they're both swimming around, and he's trying to follow in 3D space, he's like, don't be an idiot. You're never going to uh, you're never gonna be able to do that. Like, take on the challenges that make sense. And I was like, all right. In, in a rare moment of, of agreeing, uh, <laughs> I, I said, okay, well, we don't do that. Then I will figure something else out. And then I wrote up a, a little thing on the boat that kind of Focused it in on saying, like, we're going to deliver narrative, uh, a different way of traversal to, to change the pacing, well, you know, and we're going to have collectibles and, and sort of exploration uh, involved in that. And then the last one, I said, we're going to have combat. So we were going to have all four of those things. Those are the, the four pillars of the boat. And combat kept being that thing that was like, oh, this is the, the scariest Pandora's box of ever, <laughs> uh, for, for anybody because it's a huge change to the combat systems. For, for one point, you could aim the bow and shoot at stuff. And we tried a bunch of different things, and it just felt like, look, to do this right, it's going to be huge. So eventually, we just cut that thing and then put it in the, all right, 
It's going to be the, the narrative delivery. And that still scared a lot of people because the narrative wasn't put in yet, right? There were some cinematics and people were starting to agree, oh, okay, I don't hate this. Uh, and, and, and you know, Kratos is so terrible now, but I don't know, man. Just ride around the boat. This is going to be so dumb, so boring. <laughs> and it was not until we had a play test uh, where we noticed several people not docking the boat. And we had had so many problems with the boat docks breaking. Right, that the the you go up and hit the button and then you just get pushed away because essentially we were trying to figure out an auto docking navigation yeah. thing, right? And it just was brittle and we didn't put a lot of time in it initially, so it would fail. And I was like freaking out while watching the monitors, like, oh come on, it's broke again! Like, what the hell, man? Like, we need to fix this. Get on it. Uh, and it is perfect karma because I'm acting like a jerk. And what's happening to all these players is they don't want to dock because Mamir hadn't finished the story. Yeah. So when the stories finally got in and they were listening to Alistair actually saying these stories, you know, or listening to Kratos and, and Atreus tell each, uh, each other stories, they actually wanted to stay in there. And I was like, oh, well, vindication. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about getting mad, guys. But like, see, I told you it would work. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, it could have easily gone wrong. But it's the sense that I drove around in Vice City, mm-hmm. you know, listening not only to the the music, which I thought was amazing in that that, that game, but also the talk radio, the commercial. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, so we have to have that. A little bit of humor and a little bit of seriousness, I think, goes a long way because you just get bored if it's super self-serious right that we're so intense right it's just gonna have that sense of fun it, it helps having like one headless talk radio host and then one vehicle like in gta you're basically constantly stealing cars leaving them on the side of the road getting them in another and being like what no i'm listening to country western music <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's nice of him like the interplay between him and kratos is so different between him and atreus and it helps to keep that variety going especially yeah. as you're going all through it i do look forward to paddle warfare though <laughs> in the next game it's, it sounds like there was a lot of like sort of like uh, uh inspiring and also humbling moments of bringing your work to the play testers and then going Ooh, like we're here yeah. we got we're so proud of this and they're like this sucks and you're like oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it happens all the time you know so every creator that i talk to has that same relationship with play testing is that it as great as we all think it is, it's still just it's it's rough, man. We don't, one we don't want to demoralize the team if, if everything comes back super negative, but it also sucks to hear that. I mean, yeah. you try to laugh it off. I mean, we had one guy uh, that first of all, this guy was a teacher, okay, so he taught I think high school, and first round of feedback he gave was I hate kids and I hate that the kids in the game. Wait, like, what? Yeah. And I was like, you are <laughs> in the right career, my friend. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, all right. You should call weird. his high school. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's just stupid. You ruin this game and you put a kid in here. I don't want to take care of a kid, you know? Uh, and I was like, hmm, all right. But this was, you know, uh, I think a full half game playthrough. So it was like beginning to the half of the waypoint of the game. And his first few feedback points were that. And he kept just started to rail on how much he hated things uh, and how the kid was annoying and how he's ruining the game. And then he got to Freya's house, right? And it still wasn't fully realized, so a lot of the cinematics weren't fully working, sound wasn't that great, art wasn't fully in. So the most, like, vicious feedback he gave, right, was right around that point where he was just like, flowers? 
You have Kratos picking flowers. <laughs> you have ruined this game so much and just devastated the history of who Kratos is and made this not work. And I hate this. He's like, I came into this like thinking I was getting a pizza with pepperoni, the best kind of pizza. But all I'm getting is a pizza with olives, just olives, <laughs> only olives. Right. And he's like, this is just terrible. Oh, my God. So I mean, we were just like, all right. Clearly, we have not though. connected yeah. this guy, right? Oh, well, we took that metaphor one step further. Like that. <laughs> uh, so we were like, all right, uh, we want to thank this dude at the end of all the, the playtests. So we got him a pizza with olives piled on like a damn mountain. No! Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That it was amazing. the greatest thing ever. And he, uh, we want to show him one that like we hold no grudge. Like As much of as course. it was like, oh, man, it's so vicious. Like It's great. We need to hear this hardcore feedback. And I was like, we need to give a little bit back to him. <laughs> yeah. And he thought it was hilarious. He was, he was laughing. But um, I think for me, that is kind of the essence of you have to get torn down. But then you have to figure out the filter. Right, the filter is the hardest thing I think for any creative person to figure out, and I don't think I figured it out yet. I'm still struggling with it of knowing what to 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 take in, mm -hmm. knowing what not to take in. Especially when you've got an entire team, 300 people, they're all watching the same thing. They're going to amplify the thing that they respond to the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now you've got not only got the playtest, but then you've got the amplification of different groups on the team coming to you and going, well, this is clearly the most important thing. I've been talking about this forever. See, <laughs> this is terrible. Uh, and either, yeah, you're right, we should address this, or no, 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 don't worry about this, right? Like mm -hmm. the picking flowers thing. Some people hated that. I really wanted to quadruple down on it. Uh, <laughs> Derek Daniels uh, was was somebody who had said, you know what, that's it. We're going to make a, 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 a sort of fetch quest uh, <laughs> you have to pick a hundred flowers in the entire game or something like that we're gonna place them all over and it was late in the game we didn't have time to put it in and i was like i'm so into that let's do <laughs> it right simply because it, it, it's like the things that people focus on to say this is what's ruining it uh it, it's fascinating to me right? yeah because when you actually see it in the overall game you're like oh that was really not that huge of a part and it's kind of an interesting thing of like Kratos has never had to deal with the consequences mm -hmm. right and I, for me, the most important part of that sequence was the player and Kratos actively having to deal with the consequences of the way that they sort of, with the way that their violence manifests, right? Mm -hmm. So that they have done something. And instead of going, sorry, no, you have to carry this thing. You have to hold the, the, the sort of blood vessels to help close up the wound. You have to go get the remedy so that she can actually fix them, right? You have to figure out like what it means after you release the arrow, what happens, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cool thing that, you know, when it all comes together, it's a really neat way to help players sort of see all aspects of it so we don't just have one side of the conversation throughout because I think that's an important thing, I think, for all creators to be able to represent the full spectrum. When you've got like a um, itchy and scratchy and poochy Simpsons situation where everyone is giving you conflicting ideas, right? I love that example yes um <laughs> is that what you always go back to like the the essence the sort of the pillars of your game and that helps you parse those um those sort of conflicting ideas and 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 helps you know which ones to listen to and which ones to kind of go okay that's just olive guy it's just <laughs> olive guy uh see i have the first line of defense is like the inner voice right the immediate reaction what is the immediate reaction am i angry is it is the voice saying totally right right mm -hmm is and there's different voices right there's the pessimistic scared voice and then there's the assertive like this is correct 
you know, no, it's fine, right? And if there's nothing, then I have to lean back on the trusted sort of next layer of people, right? Like that I have, you know, three or four people that I lean on to be sort of my tastemaker sounding board where I'm like, I think this is really good. What is the feeling of the, the group on that one? And if they're all conflicted there, it's like, oh, great. All right, then I have to step away from it and just start thinking about how does this all connect, right? What is the the what is it furthering? Mm-hmm. Is it furthering the, the the sort of pillars of the game? Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I had heard recently that when uh, we had done a blog post or something where the pillars of the game were released and people were apparently making fun of it or something like, oh, it's so silly, right? Mm. And it's, it, it does seem silly when you look at it and you go like uh, combat exploration and father-son Father narrative son. <laughs> yeah. all feeding into mm-hmm. character development. It's like, that's so simple. That is the maddening thing about creating right? Whether you're writing, whether you're directing, whether you're acting, it's the simple answers that are actually the real answers. And it drives me crazy because I'm (laughs) waiting for the secret sauce. It's like, no, 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 this is exactly how you do it. Then you'll go, oh, that's the secret way to do it. No, it's Mm -hmm. like finding out a magic trick. It's super simple. (laughs) It just takes a lot of skill, right? And I think for for us, that sense of creating the, the pyramid, right? And having those three core ideas that say, is it serving one of these pillars, right? Mm-hmm. Which those three pillars all serve the development of the character and the development of the character either from the sort of player choices, right? I'm, I'm, I'm putting in different armors or enchantments or the development of the character on their sort of emotional arc, right? And it is so weirdly simple, but so incredibly effective for the last line of defense to come back yeah. to it and say, okay, it's not doing any of these things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It is not furthering the sort of discovery, right? The joy of discovery. It is not furthering the father-son relationship and it is not furthering any sort of combat agenda. So therefore, it probably doesn't belong. The maddening part is when it's wrong and it does fit in one of them. Right. Then it comes <laughs> down to that sense of like, all right, sometimes you just have to make the call uh, and I stall as long as I can. I, I, I have a tendency to to either deflect and then ask another question and then, you know, if they don't remember, we end the meeting and I get out and I get <laughs> uh, Or they'll remember and I'll be like, oh, all right, well, just give me a day or two to think about this. Um, and eventually it is the point where people say, I found my keys when I stopped looking for them. When I stop thinking about it and somebody asks me the question, almost like I ask people to surprise me. In two days, at some point, don't tell me when, Ask me this question again, preferably like in a hallway, come up behind me and ask the question. My immediate response, as if being scared, will be the correct response. <laughs> so, that, and, and generally that, that, that works. I mean, I don't ask people to do that, but it, it exactly. works in that sense yeah. that when they ask me, uh, when I've forgotten about it, I'm like, of course not, we shouldn't do it. Oh, oh, of course not. No, we shouldn't do that. You're right. Uh, and I think it's just so many different things that you're trying to juggle that sometimes you just have to let the computer process a little bit and put everything together and go like, oh, okay, I see. Like that's gonna that's gonna work for everything. We're talking like the marketing and the the the, the sort of uh, gameplay elements, the story elements, the sort of individual aspects of upgrading. Like all of it has to kind of fit together in this weird puzzle, and it all comes online at different times. Like all that upgrading stuff came online so late. I mean, scary late, late to the point where everybody was looking at each other, going like, nobody does it this late. This is crazy. What's our problem? Uh, and our problem was we wanted to do so many different things. <laughs> and just someone hadn't scared you in a hallway at the right day. Mm-hmm. You right. To get the answers right. out. 
going a little bit back to uh, after the game's release and everything, you have talked a little bit about deflecting, whether it's needing the answers for the game or taking compliments or things like that. Um, one of the things, whether or not it was deflection intentionally in your uh, acceptance speech at the Game Awards and uh, talking here, your love of other creators and their passion for the games they create and everything. And I want to just talk to you a little bit about, obviously, we're here to celebrate God of War, but also the games that you've been nominated around and been celebrating as well. And how, how is it being in that conversation with games you may be a fan of and games makers that whose work you love? It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it's a, I mean, honestly, this last like six months has been for me as the fan of games, for me as the person who grew up, you know, renting a, a, a super Nintendo from the video store down the street and playing all weekend, uh, one or two games with my friends. I am just, living the, the the sort of my inner fan dream, right? To be able to go and talk to creators who I admire, to be in the same sentence as those other creators, to say, like, this game is considered in in the same sort of breath as, as these other games. I think that's just, that's amazing because I have so much respect and admiration for the work that they do. And for me, like... I don't know if it's lack of confidence, but honestly, I would I would choose their games over mine. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm such a, a a fan of the work that they do, and you know, doing this has afforded me the opportunity to be able to go and hang out with these people that I admire so much and understand, like, oh wow, we are all so much alike. Yeah, like we are all weirdly insecure. We are all <laughs> filled with with doubt, but we are also like children, you know, filled with passion. Uh, I, when I visited Kojima-san in, in Tokyo, like I had met that guy a couple times, very, you know, like formal, hi, how are you doing? Uh, but, you know, that was a, such a different experience. I got to see like the real creator behind there, that he was just excited to explain the game and talk about these different aspects mm -hmm. and then talk about, oh, that's going to be this and this is going to do that. And I'm just like, oh, that's, that, that is just amazing for me mm. because that's how I feel like on a good day on a good day mm. you're going to show somebody something and it just all clicks right even when it's not working right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's still the idea is there it's <laughs> all going to come together this is good you can see it on their face and they're like this is really cool this is exciting and they're not just like you know placating you they actually are excited <laughs> about it uh, and to be able to go and see that with the people you realize like alright I'm, I'm not alone even though it does feel sometimes like you are in your own silo Mm. Right? Like well, the game industry's changed so much, I think, from the, the the time that I wasn't even in it, right? In the the, the early nineties, where it mm -hmm. felt like everybody was was communicating and talking and GDC was filled with people sharing secrets and tips. You know, and it's like now, I mean, I'm hoping that we can do that a little bit more, that we can mm -hmm. talk more, that we can say, like, how did you do that? Right? It's like mm -hmm. literally I just when I hung out with the guys over at uh Bungie. I was just picking their brain and saying, like, I don't understand. How are you dealing with this? How are you handling this? And they were so open, so cool to just start talking about, like, oh, sort of team structures and how you handle different things. And I was like, I feel like I leveled up just by talking mm -hmm. to other developers. And I'm like, for me, I wish we could do that so much more. Mm -hmm. Because, one, I'm a nerd fan, and it's just like fulfilling <laughs> the nerd fan dream of, like, oh, I get to go hang out with Steven Spielberg kind of thing. Right? <laughs> uh, but also I think we just, the fans benefit. Like yeah. games get better when we all learn from each other. Like that was what we learned with working with Gorilla, is yeah. that we would send people over there for a week and they'd send people over to our studio for a week. And we'd find out that we're doing something 
that takes three days to do that they figured out how to do in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Right? And we just had never been focusing on that one. We were like, all right, well, that's just how it is, right? Yeah. We become accustomed to that. And to be able to get insight into somebody else's process and realize, like, you could share something mm-hmm. because we taught them some things. They taught us some things. And I think at the end of the day that everybody benefits from that. It's so awesome. And I think, uh, at least for me personally, and I think I can tell from a lot of the fans who have played the game, you being so open and honest about what you and the team have done to bring this game to life has also been a huge benefit to them and to our understanding of how a game like this can actually come together and something as tremendous as this. And thank you so much for being here to be able to talk about it again. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on this. Yes, you're always welcome back. Oh, good. Congratulations, not just on the (laughs) IGN Awards, but for all the reception, the accolades that this game wholeheartedly deserves. Thank you so much for making this amazing. Thank game. You. Thank you very much. And thank you all so much for watching at home. And as always, Beyond yes. is live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific at beyond.ign.com and then Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific on YouTube and podcast services around the world. Thank you so much for watching. And as always, Beyond. 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 beyond.